My name is Lloyd Danzig, and in this podcast, we explore the topics and trends that are shaping the creation and dispersion of artificial intelligence around the globe. Welcome to the AI Experience. All right. Thank you so much, everyone, uh, for joining us again for another episode of the AI Experience. Uh, today, going to be talking about something that is extra relevant uh, as of the time of recording, uh, but that we've actually covered uh, in our March 6th uh, episode, episode 6, I believe it was. Uh, we talked about facial recognition, talked about a company called Clearview AI uh, that makes this sort of white label uh, B2B um, facial recognition software and all the legal concerns that come with that. And we talked about the dangers uh, of bias training data, how if you, for example, train a facial recognition system on primarily light-skinned faces, it may be disproportionately inaccurate uh, when being used to classify dark-skinned faces. And, of course, if such classifications uh, are being used for things like making arrests uh, or even engaging uh, presence of police, uh, particularly, you know, in, in the context of uh, everything that's gone on with um, uh, with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and uh, sort of the state of, of the world, the civil unrest that followed. Um, it's, it's particularly relevant. And now uh, just, you know, to sort of extra set the stage, you know, depending when people are listening to this, um, you know, we, we've been uh, in, in a state of call it civil unrest uh, where protests over racism and discrimination and uh, police brutality, you know, ha- have been rampant for uh, about two, two weeks or, or, or so now. And uh, it seems that, you know, hopefully at least uh, some of a decent amount of the violence uh, as part of protest has subsided and, you know, given rise to some more peaceful protests. And at the same time, we're starting to see change effectuated. Uh, the Minneapolis uh, Police Department uh, or Police Council announced they're not renewing uh, negotiations with the union. Uh, I believe Louisville, Kentucky announced they are banning no-knock raids. Uh, I believe they, they called it uh, Brianna's Law after Brianna Taylor. And, uh, so it's it's seeming like uh, at least some of the, the social movement has, has had an impact, and, and in particular uh, – or not in particular, but particularly as relates to this episode, we saw within the last couple of days, Amazon, IBM, and Microsoft all make pretty major uh, announcements uh, about the fact that they would no longer be selling or would not be allowing police to use or would be temporarily uh, banning the police purchase of their facial recognition technologies. And of course, IBM... Microsoft and Amazon, as well as others, have, you know, massive AI departments that have built, among other things, um, facial recognition uh, functionalities that, that can be used by a host of uh, of different types of stakeholders. And, and in the past, uh, police departments uh, have been those. I believe uh, Clearview AI, which is a private company, I, I think had, was being used by over 600 law enforcement a- agencies. And uh, there was growing concern. Uh, and, you know, when we see companies like this, especially companies that depending on your perspective, you know, some people have accused of various forms of other Injustice before in the name of profit maximization, uh, you can see that at least there must be some, some very serious concern. Uh, and, and I wanted to talk a little bit about why and perhaps how we might address that. 
And I think it's especially relevant not only in the context um, of, of all of uh, the protests uh, that, that have, have grown in, in, the, in the wake of, uh, of George Floyd's death, but, but also uh, the coronavirus uh, and the quarantine that we may or may not uh, sort of be emerging from here in, in, in the middle of June. And I think this, this interesting lesson that we learned uh, from the coronavirus, or at least that some people have, have, have seemed to learn, have learned already, and perhaps everyone will eventually, is that if you were to have underreacted to the coronavirus scare at any given point, given the nature of uh, the, this, this, uh, this disease and, and then the way that the virus had spread and, and, and its latency, if you had underreacted, you would not know that you underreacted until it was too late. Uh, if you were, you know, walking around and transmitting um, the coronavirus without a mask uh, because you were, you know, underreacting, uh, by the time you found out, you would have transmitted it to all those people, perhaps been sick yourself. Those people could have transmitted it to others and so on. On the other hand, if you overreacted, if the second that you heard of this thing called coronavirus, you, you know, erected a hermetically sealed uh, bubble around your house that didn't let germs in or out, um, then perhaps often you would not even realize that you that how bad it could have been had you not overreacted. Um, and it's like almost, you know, when someone goes to the hospital and comes away disappointed that they weren't sick. Like, like they wanted uh, something to happen because that would have justified all of the worrying. Uh, and it seems that some people who overprepare or overreact to something uh, are almost upset that the outcome wasn't worse uh, because they had prepared for it. Uh, maybe it's human nature that we prepare for a negative outcome and maybe we want to be right or vindicated or something or justified in that time spent. Uh, and that creates a very sort of very, very dangerous, very insidiously dangerous uh, situation that, that may be at least part of, if not largely, the reason why the U.S. in particular has had uh, such an enormously devastating toll taken on its population uh, on behalf of coronavirus. And I think there's a similar thing going on uh, with facial recognition. Uh, if you're someone who feels that they have nothing to hide or doesn't even understand why facial recognition uh, is dangerous and has ethical concerns surrounding it uh, and have no reason, uh, well then, until it's too late, until your identity has been compromised and your privacy has been breached, uh, you, you will almost never realize that you had underprepared. And if you overprepare, if, if you uh, decide that you're going to wear a full face covering, um, you know, outside and convince all your neighbors to do so. And, and that that eventually convinces, you know, some uh, foreign spy agency from not uh, conducting surveillance on, on your town or community. You might never know uh, that that happened. Your, your overpreparedness would have, you know, warded off uh, a negative externality that would never become known to you. And thus you would not gain a proper appreciation of the preparation uh, that you had done. And maybe the fact that IBM, Microsoft, Amazon, big companies with major vested and, and commercial interests in the proliferation of the technology that they themselves build and sell and license, uh, the fact that they're taking a stand, I think, you know, is a reason uh, for us all to take pause. And, and maybe, uh, you know, I'll go through to sort of make it concrete a few reasons why it's very important that we understand who has facial recognition technology and what they're able to use it for <clears throat> and how that impacts 
our lives and sort of our privacy as citizens. And, and on that note, I think the lack of permission uh, of is one of the main reasons why especially privacy advocates are, are extra concerned when they hear people talking about the use of facial recognition. It, it can be collected very easily in public places. And in fact, a recent article uh, came out saying that 30,000 football fans at the Rose Bowl were unsuspectingly captured on camera that was fed through facial recognition engines and I believe uh, had those faces all tested against uh, known suspicious persons or, or known criminals or something like that. And that's by itself very scary that, that you could unwittingly have your face scanned in a public place and have that compared to some database of known criminals, uh, particularly because uh, a similar experiment misidentified, I believe, 28 members of Congress as known criminals. And we've seen time and time again that darker skinned faces seem to be more inaccurately classified, uh, often with accuracy uh, levels in, in the high 70 and low 80 percentage range. And, and that means, of course, that you could, in theory, be walking, uh, doing nothing in a public place, have your face scanned by a camera that feeds that image through a facial recognition engine that deems you to be a criminal, a fugitive, uh, someone who needs arresting. Uh, and the police, uh, in theory, could be deployed uh, to, to, to your location. And uh, especially given uh, you know, the, the state of the world right now, we don't have to look forward uh, to, you know, uh, movies like Minority Report to consider these sort of Orwellian uh, dystopian uh, kind of police states uh, that could very quickly get out of control, uh, particularly if people are relying on technologies that they don't quite understand themselves and certainly are not capable of uh, teasing apart the nuances of in cases where things could go wrong. Um, there are some other things that, that, that might uh, just sort of become natural, you know. And not that long ago, if you received an ad uh, online uh, for a product that you were just looking for, uh, you might be a little freaked out. If you were receiving all these tailored emails and notifications, uh, you might think that was insanely invasive and that some foreign government must be spying on you or have a bug in your house. Uh, but actually, these days, you know, targeted advertising, especially on social media, is totally commonplace. And we've all sort of uh, little by little, uh, become used to our data and our browsing habits, uh, that were collected, even if unbeknownst to us, being used to target us with ads, content, and the like. Uh, but again, you think about it, you step back, uh, and it is kind of creepy. Uh, you're on the internet, you're reading things and, uh, looking up medical symptoms and, and checking out, uh, you know, various, uh, thoughts and pursuing things that maybe you wouldn't want other people, certain people, uh, to know you were looking up or interested in. And yet, very clearly, that behavior is being used to, to track you and, and, and at the very least to target you uh, with certain content. And therefore, you know, that means there's a profile of you that, that does exist somewhere that hopefully is, anon is de-anonymized and is anonymized and, and stripped of your personally identifiable information. But it turns out even anonymized data is not so hard to de-anonymize. Uh, there are not that many people that have all of your uh, characteristics and behavioral patterns in a small space. And, uh, it's pretty, pretty scary how, how quickly things can be narrowed down. And in theory, there could be some predatory marketing, uh, that sort of takes advantage of, uh, maybe the facial expressions on your front facing camera. Uh, maybe, you know, something, someone shows you an ad and you make a face and the camera captures that face and uses that, uh, to decide what type of ad to show you next. 
And perhaps that doesn't bother some people, but I think where it will bother people is when it comes to facial recognition and its cousin or uncle or son or something, uh, emotional recognition, where not only are we saying, you know, this is Bob, this is Alice, but we're saying this person is currently 83% happy and 14%, you know, angry and, and whatnot. And uh, there are some great, uh, I think we might have talked about in the last episode, uh, photo feeler, uh, I think version three, you could look up. Uh, some pretty cool videos of. And, you know, you can imagine that, uh, first of all, if you're a company uh, and, you know, if you're a large company, especially recruiting and onboarding, uh, you know, low-level employees can can be a very time-consuming, resource-consuming, uh, you know, exercise. And, and it would be very appealing to such an entity to be able to quickly screen not only candidates' resumes, uh, but if you're hiring for a sales job, perhaps there's a facial recognition engine uh, that tells you how charismatic uh, or how approachable or how convincing uh, someone's face seems to be. And again, you almost couldn't blame a company for using that type of software if it were made available to them. But on the other hand, you can also imagine that someone perhaps born with some atypical facial features or birth defects or, 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 or even, you know, has a skin color that seems to uh, not register as accurately with this particular emotional recognition engine, uh, those people very, very rightly, you know, should potentially be concerned about how companies and even universities could screen them remotely uh, and make, again, probabilistic uh, inferences about their emotional state by relying on software uh, that, that has a major impact on, uh, on that person's future. And it's, of course, the case that as sort of as soon as technologies proliferate and become commonplace, they don't always end up only in the hands of the, quote, good actors. And uh, I think today it seems, you know, even more confusing than ever who the good actors are. But, uh, you know, anyone who has ever been the victim of, of, of a stalking or, or any sort of harassment, uh, I mean, you could imagine that even if you try to remove yourself from Facebook, let's say, and, and not post any pictures – Imagine how many people's pictures you are in the background of. And imagine if someone could quickly run a facial recognition web crawler through every picture that has ever been posted on Facebook. And given that most of those pictures also have metadata and timestamps and lat long coordinates attached to them, could assemble, you know, in almost an automated fashion, uh, a, a detailed, you know, you know, meter by meter breakdown of, of what you do and what you're likely to be doing at any given time. Um, and, and even if it's not for stalking purposes, simply, you know, we see that politicians and people uh, constantly are sort of being uh, canceled or brought up on charges of being canceled uh, because of, you know, yearbook pictures that came out in the past, from 20 years ago. And uh, this person said or did this inappropriate thing at this point, and we just unearthed the video or the tape. And, you know, uh, many people, uh, especially those, you know, born in the late 80s, early 90s, grew up sort of at the start of social media, but before anyone realized or had a concept of this, you know, fact that things are so permanently imprinted uh, on the Internet, you know, once they are posted. And uh, again, for anyone who has ever had any image or video or even audio clip of themselves uh, shared in a way that they would not coming that would not want coming back to haunt them at their most vulnerable moment, the process, the, the, the feature or the fact of facial recognition falling into the wrong hands is sort of the quickest way uh, to, to, to do away uh, with, with uh, perhaps those last semblances of privacy 
um, and, and safety that, that, that people have and can claim in that regard. And not only that, you know, identity fraud is already a big problem. Uh, most, you know, many people are fortunate that their credit card companies uh, protect them from identity fraud these days and, and will reimburse them for, you know, fraudulent ATM charges and stuff. But that doesn't change how rampant fraud is. And, and, and you know, we see even the companies that are sort of, uh, you know, often supposed to be uh, protecting uh, people um, are not sort of necessarily capable of doing so. And we have privacy breaches with companies like Equifax uh, that leak that, you know, leaked all these people's personal and credit data. Uh, they were supposed to, you know, pay everyone some fee out of that settlement fund. And that's been going on for years. And it makes you wonder, you know, uh, usually, uh, you know, if your face is seen on tape or someone confirms that your face was seen on tape, uh, that is considered, you know, evidence that you were somewhere. Um, and, you know, maybe we've come to not trust our ears necessarily, but most people sort of implicitly trust their eyes. Uh, and once you have facial recognition technology, you know, you could, first of all, scan people's faces. You could know where they are. You could recreate those faces. You could sort of reverse engineer uh, the pixel patterns that give rise to a certain type of facial recognition classification um, and, and, you know, use that to get into, uh, you, you know, uh, someone's phone, for example, that uses the contours of their face. And, and on that note, you know, Many people who use iPhones and, and, and other popular smartphones have been using face ID type technologies that use, you know, sort of a combination of facial recognition and contour uh, analysis uh, to, to unlock phones. And uh, the problem with this is, you know, especially when you're traveling, uh, generally it seems that, you know, police and various authorities might not necessarily need and at least are, are certainly able to get away with opening your phone if all they have to do is hold it up to your face, especially while you might be unconscious or incapacitated, um, which is where I know, you know, many people talk about, uh, you know, not using face ID uh, to allow people to get into your phone, requiring, you know, that six digit password uh, that will, uh, I believe, reset and wipe the whole phone if entered incorrectly. Uh, I think it's 10 uh, consecutive times. And so, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, scary sort of stuff out there, and there's not even a clear regulatory framework around this. And, and Amazon in particular, you know, they didn't say we're banning facial recognition. They didn't say we'll never sell it. They basically said we're kind of putting our facial recognition sales on pause for a year, and hopefully during that time Congress uh, is able to sort out, you know, what it is they think and how it is they expect to regulate. And I think I, I want to, you know, make an extra poignant m note to, to point out something that, that's sort of relevant right now. You know, whatever your politics are, uh, Republican, Democrat, you know, pro-Trump, anti-Trump doesn't really matter for the sake of this, uh, because whatever the case of the world is, you know, you can probably imagine a situation where it's uh, reversed and, and you're on the reverse side. And, you know, if you stand with the protesters now, there could be a situation where you'd be standing against them. And if you stand with, you know, the, the White House now, you could be in a situation where you're standing against them. And one of the scary things, and it sort of goes back to, to, to some of the ways in which we have compromised, you know, our, our, our liberty and, and privacy for security post 9-11. Um, and, and post 9-11, you know, this thing called the Patriot Act was enacted that essentially gave the government uh, the power to declare people terrorists. And once they've been declared terrorists, use these uh, other means, you know, enhanced interrogation or military tribunals or uh, indefinite uh, 
detention uh, in order to sort through them. And, and you know, one of the things that happened was it seemed that, that certainly at least uh, that may have been necessary at the time to have extenuating circumstances where, you know, you capture uh, a member of ISIS or Al Qaeda or someone who had knowledge of, you know, the September 11th attacks and, you know, how, you know, George Bush had sort of expanded uh, the ability for the government to extract information and keep the country safe. Uh, and then, you know, you can debate whether or not and to what extent that was justified at the time. But what typically happens is then we go we leave wartime, we go back to peacetime and suddenly the government maintains uh, you know, the ability to, 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 to do those things or, you know, the fact that we've been, quote, at war with terrorism for so long has meant that many of these Patriot Act protections for, you know, kind of questionable, uh, you know, policies on, and, and, and procedures on behalf of the government have certainly led, at least in some cases, in some false positive cases, to totally innocent people being completely stripped of their human rights and, and being held and detained indefinitely um, and, and often, you know, subject to terrible conditions during that. And we already saw uh, that, you know, I, again, even if it was in a tweet, I, I believe Trump had at one point mentioned uh, something about protesters being terrorists. And again, this is not a, uh, a, a political podcast and it's not even trying to talk about whether he should do that or ought to have done that or could have used different words. And the fact is the president of the United States did label certain people who were protesting and many of them peacefully as terrorists. And even if it was sort of just in a tweet, it doesn't take too much of a, of a, of a, of a step or an imagination to combine what we've seen with the Patriot Act post 9-11 and what we've seen with facial recognition into this really scary situation where a facial recognition engine is very accurate at identifying light-skinned faces and not dark-skinned faces. Uh, somehow a group of peaceful protesters or law-abiding citizens who believe themselves to be nonviolent are captured on camera doing something that the government decides uh, is wrong. And if you don't think this would happen in the U.S., uh, maybe fine, it wouldn't, but certainly you could imagine it happening elsewhere. And actually stuff like this happens in China all the time. Uh, and you could imagine that a facial recognition camera labels all the faces of, of these dissidents, you know, the people who, who were protesting who have now been labeled terrorists, and initiates a, a warrant uh, to pick up each of those people. And because they are terrorists, they can now be detained indefinitely and brought to Guantanamo Bay and subject to enhanced interrogation techniques, which is a euphemism for torture. And especially if those systems are only 70 percent accurate at identifying people who are dark skinned, you could imagine someone who wasn't even at this protest being identified as being there, picked up, stripped of rights and, and sort of in a position where it's difficult to gain them back. And, you know, it is certainly great to, to, to be in the U.S., which is a country where there's a presumption of innocence, or at least supposed to be a presumption of innocence. But it seems very clearly that actually uh, <clears throat> even that philosophy, which not all countries hold, but, but, but some do, um, even that is sort of not really enough to protect this, because the point is that, that, that there are governments, ours being one of them, that are powerful enough to sort of circumvent these standard processes for arrests uh, and, and detainment. Uh, and once facial recognition gets used, which has the possibility to do this at scale, do this in an automated fashion, uh, do this with errors that are not understood to the people uh, who are operationalizing the instructions, that, that, that sort of is the other thing. 
you know, suppose you are a, a person who is the world's leading expert on facial recognition and the police come to your door and they say, uh, sir, you're under arrest uh, for, you know, the murder of 100 people. We have you on tape. Are you going to start explaining to that person about how, you know, the uh, the the learning rate on the neural network that was trained for the facial recognition engine uh, was such that it allowed for an amount of bias uh, that is currently causing you to be misidentified? You know, the person who is coming to arrest you or take you away or, or execute you or whatever it is likely is not well versed in the nuances of machine learning architectures and, you know, ways in which uh, they can be compromised. Um, and, and so, again, I, I think this stuff would be very easy to admonish and to just ban outright if there were no positive use cases. The fact is that we can use facial recognition to identify and, and find missing people and, 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 and track people and uh, do all sorts of positive, you know, things and certainly can make people's lives easier in a number of cases. You know, certainly I'm sure we'd all love to just walk up to our house and have it recognize our face and walk in the door and it knows the temperature that you want to turn the house to and, you know, the, the TV channel that you want on and the music that you want playing. Um, and all of those things, you know, could be great. And in the field of AI, it seems, you know, things are scary because they're exciting and are often exciting to the extent that they're scary. And so I think, you know, that the point here is not to avoid facial recognition at all costs, although perhaps, you know, avoid getting it into, you know, the hands of those who also have guns and badges and stuff for the time being. But there is an important place that facial recognition should serve in society. Certainly, if there's a, you know, imagine a big crowd and, and a bomb goes off and you want to be able to quickly scan that crowd and see if, you know, any known terrorists uh, are in it or anyone is in that crowd who also visited, you know, a store that sold the similar supplies as the bomb was created uh, in, in the past few days. Lots of great reasons, even for law enforcement, to be able to use facial recognition. And I think that's especially why it's important right now to figure out, you know, how is this going to work? Who's going to be responsible? What oversight will be had and exercised by whom? You know, if in the event that things go wrong, what remedies and methods for sort of rectifying those situations are there? Um, and again, it, it, this probably applies somewhat generically to all AI-powered technologies, but uh, particularly as relates to facial recognition in the hands of law enforcement, I think it really is as, as important as ever, as ever uh, to get this right the first time, uh, to not be so underprepared that we don't know it's too late, uh, but rather to overprepare, if anything, such that we don't even realize what it is that we really fend it off uh, and just, you know, maybe get used to uh, being okay with that, uh, that, that type of scenario. Um, so, you know, that, that I think is, is pretty much the extent of the, the facial recognition update that I wanted to provide. Uh, I'll put a few articles and, and perhaps links in the show notes in, in case anyone uh, is interested in, in understanding more about specifically how it is uh, that some of these biases come to uh, infiltrate these, you know, AI systems and, and, and the way in which they can so insidiously and accidentally uh, sort of come to be there, even without, you know, malicious intent uh, or oversight. Uh, so thank you, you know, for everyone's time. Hope everyone's staying safe out there. This was the AI experience.